Welcome to the science of mentorship. Academic institutions tend to place the sole responsibility of mentoring experiences on the mentee. Mentoring experiences, however, are affected by how well faculty members tend to their mentees. When an institution lacks commitment to successful mentoring practices, faculty members often fail to effectively support their mentees. Biochemist Dr. Keith Yamamoto experienced this, not as a student, but as a professor, a professor who at first struggled to mentor his students. Dr. Yamamoto had positive mentoring experiences in his undergraduate and graduate careers. After earning his PhD from Princeton University, Dr. Yamamoto joined the faculty at University of California, San Francisco, as a professor of cellular and molecular pharmacology. It was when he joined UCSF that he realized there were certain approaches a mentor should take, and some they shouldn't. Through learning from failed experiences at mentoring, Dr. Yamamoto strives for academic institutions to consistently implement effective mentoring practices. Dr. Keith Yamamoto also serves as the Vice Chancellor for Science Policy and Strategy and as Director of Precision Medicine at UCSF. He has worked on several national committees focused on public and scientific policy. In 1990, Dr. Yamamoto was elected into the National Academy of Sciences, and in 2003, he was elected into the National Academy of Medicine. When it came time to decide where to go to college, Keith made what he considered an easy decision. I went to Iowa State University because it was close to home. I was born and grew up in Des Moines. Ames, where Iowa State is located, is 35 miles north of Interstate 35. And I was too timid to try to go be, be adventuresome beyond that. I was a biochemistry major. Biochemistry was a relatively new major at Iowa State when I began my undergraduate career in 1964, and I lucked out. I was assigned a uh, mentor named Jack Horowitz, who was an assistant professor at Iowa State. He met me and my parents on the first day, and he began to interact with me on a regular basis. Even though I was just a freshman, he was just getting his lab going. And so when I was a sophomore, I began working in his lab, washing glassware. And very quickly after that, he began to give me some research to do, small little projects to, to work on. And so I worked in his lab, uh, in his lab uh, throughout my undergraduate career, beginning as a sophomore. Dr. Horowitz's consistent interaction not only helped Keith learn new techniques, but pushed him to develop professionally in ways he didn't expect. I learned an enormous amount from him. But among the things I learned was that he pushed me hard to look far and wide for graduate programs. And he basically said, you know, get out of Iowa. There's a lot of other exciting stuff going on. And we were working on ribosome structure and function uh, in, in Dr. Horowitz's laboratory. And I just got really enamored of some work going on at Princeton by an outstanding geneticist, molecular geneticist there. And so when I applied to graduate schools, I applied to many, but I was really hoping that Princeton would come through. And it did. Dr. Horowitz's support equipped Keith to leave Iowa and follow his dreams to study elsewhere. 
after I finished my undergraduate research and the paper we were working on, I got in my car, drove it out to Princeton. I had been there for an interview, but otherwise have not spent no time there. And took advantage of a program that they had whereby you could get your first rotation out of the way by going a summer before classes started. I thought, that's cool. I'll do that. The only catch was you didn't get to pick your mentor. It was assigned to you. So I, got, I went there and they assigned me to this mentor that was an assistant professor at Princeton. And I'd never heard of, of course. And his name was Bruce Alberts. At first, Keith wasn't exactly hopeful about his new mentor's ability to guide him. I walked into his lab. He was in, just starting his third year at Princeton. And he only had a technician and one graduate student. And I thought, this guy is dead meat. He's not, must not be any good. He hasn't been able to build a lab group, you know. What's the matter with him? But, oh, well, you know, here I am, sort of stuck with the rotation. It's just the summer, not a problem. And I immediately totally fell in love with the guy. His research was not tremendously compelling to me. He was working on T4 phage DNA replication. But the way that he did his research, the way he planned his experiments, the ways that he thought about the big ideas to work on, and how he related what he was thinking and doing to what had gone before, the work of other scientists, and how he talked about their work, even those with whom he was uh, competing strongly, uh, was always in a very respectful tone. When Dr. Albert's lab invented a new method, he opened up opportunities for Keith to explore his independence and competency in biochemistry. Actually, the crowning moment was that he called up Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory and said, you know, we've invented this new method for isolating phage, bacteriophage. And this is the bacteriophage meeting at Cold Spring Harbor. It's the great phage meeting, it still is. And maybe your people would want to hear about it. And the organizer said, yeah, great. We'll give you a 10-minute time slot. When would you like to come? And Bruce said, oh, no, it won't be me. It'll be my student that did this work. And so here's this assistant professor, nominally struggling, I guess. But he, he sends me off to on a project he assigned me to. He suggested. I did the work. Yeah, sure. But, but no, he sends me off to give this talk at, at the Coastman Harvard meeting. Dr. Yamamoto had two positive mentoring experiences as a student, but when he became a faculty member at UCSF, he struggled with his new role as a mentor. I have not had formal mentoring training. This is something that I think is really needed universally. But in the period that I was training and then becoming a mentor, it just didn't exist. And I learned by my own mistakes that mentoring, being a faculty member is a lot a lot like being a parent. I mean, everything is, is new. You've never done it before. So when I started um, my lab, I didn't actually think about what the role of a mentor was, except what I know I expected. I remember expecting this, is that my, the definition of my success as a mentor will be to crank out people just like me and people who are as kind of crazy about doing their work as I was. I worked all the time and was engaged by a certain set of problems that I was engaged by. So I would now describe that relationship 
not as a mentor, but as a cloner. Crank out clones of yourself. He tried supporting his students by methods he thought worked. What he found, though, was that his students didn't agree. Uh, whenever I would travel, go to a meeting or go to a review panel or something, I would call my lab every day and sort of talk and, and, and you know talk to the, whoever answered the phone about the, how their experiments were going, and then to the next hand, hand me off to the next person, and I would kind of go through every day. And finally, one day. I came back from a trip and my technician took me aside and said, you got to cut that out, man. That's not okay. I said, what do you mean? It just shows how dedicated I am to these people and how I'm support, providing them support and advice and I'm not really away and I'm just being, I'm being wonderful. And she said, no, you're being a cop. Um, it's not okay. You know, they just feel enormous pressure from these kinds of calls because, in fact, it doesn't come through that you're being supportive. It's coming through that you're making sure that they're in the lab. The criticism caused him to wake up to the fact that what he considered support did not align with how his students perceived support. He had to confront another negative method of mentoring when he took on more supervising roles in the lab. My second point of confusion was that I, you know, got a grant right away, lucky, and, and so I wanted to make sure that the people in my lab would carry out the experiments and pursue their work in a way that would allow the grant to be seen as successful through its publications and the research progress that we made. And so I would, I would describe that kind of relationship as a supervisor. So a supervisor is somebody who specifies the goals of their trainees to align with uh, my goals, the supervisor's goals. And so you get them, you talk them into doing the things that will allow my own program to succeed. It took these failures for Dr. Yamamoto to understand how to be effective in mentoring. I learned just by experience and some, from, from some good advice and some well-placed criticisms Mentoring is not cloning, it's not supervising. The mentor is someone who works with the, the trainee, works in a partnership with the trainee to identify the aspirations and goals of the trainee and align those with the talents of the trainee to help develop the talents to be able to succeed with those aspirations and goals. Dr. Yamamoto discovered that effective mentoring involves guiding the trainee to cultivate their own identity based on their aspirations and goals within the STEM ecosystem. Unfortunately, faculty members in academia often face a dilemma when it comes to personal success and supporting their mentees. You know, being a faculty member and a mentor really has these internal conflicts built into them because as a faculty member primary responsibility and the major criteria on which evaluation and promotion and tenure are based is the progress and success of your uh, research. And so tremendous motivation to have the, your students and train and postdocs in the lab cranking out stuff all the time and to allow your funded projects to, to be successful. 
And so that really conflicts with setting aside time, uh, or appears to conflict, I think, to, to setting aside time to um, be a good mentor, to provide support, to help define, as I said, the, the goals and aspirations of your trainees. And so whenever you, that, that is seen as a conflict, then I think the chances of kind of getting it wrong go up. And so if we can align the reward system, and recognition system, to be able to say, no, no, this is really a critical part of how we define you as a successful person. This is an academic institution. We're training the next generation of scientists and uh, other PhD recipients who will go on to do other things in the, that are relevant to the scientific endeavor, not just to be the next professor just like you. Then I think we can begin to change that equation and, and to remove some of the, the, in, the intrinsic conflict that is now seen. Many institutions face barriers where effective mentoring might be valued, but not consistently practiced. When academic institutions train faculty to value a mentee's whole being, these barriers can be removed. Do we have mentoring training available at UCSF? Yes, but in the basic sciences, it is not something that is kind of in the culture to go through these formalized uh, courses. And, uh, you know, I think that it is something that should become part of the, the normal course of events. And so the, that training is available, but not really regularly adhered to. I would love to see that change. Dr. Yamamoto's early mentors sometimes had different professional goals. It didn't matter. They still guided him to use these experiences to follow his own dreams in science. Barriers can go down in academic institutions when mentorship becomes more ingrained in STEM culture. Faculty can and should learn to mentor effectively, not by methods that attempt to clone students or methods that only align the student's goals with their mentor's goals, but with methods that create opportunity for the mentee to accomplish their unique goals as they journey through STEM. Before we end this episode, we want to inform our listeners to tune in next episode for details on special upcoming virtual events on mentorship from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. To learn more about the science of effective mentorship and for a guide to implementing best practices in your STEM environment, visit nas.edu mentoring.